This morning we're going to begin a new series. We're going to call it Bad Apples. I want to talk to you about fruit. Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this. He says that wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many will find it. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, and, and not many will find that. And he says, I, I, I want you to watch what you do. I want, to, I want you to watch who you live, and I want you to watch who you connect to. He says that a tree is known by its truth. A good tree will produce good fruit. A, a bad tree will produce bad fruit. Then he goes on and he says something interesting, just right on the heels of saying that a good tree will produce good fruit, a bad tree will produce bad fruit. And then he says this, many will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many miracles? And he'll say, I have no clue who you are. Depart from me. I, ne I never knew you. And then he ends the Sermon on the Mount with this. He says, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken them to the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. This issue of, of being mindful of, of fruit, being mindful of our fruit, being mindful of the fruit around us is so very important. And uh, well, I believe this, I believe that, um, that we should be a church that has an ever-increasing expression of spiritual gifts. I, I would be much more concerned about the issue of spiritual fruit. Because it is by our fruit that we are known. It's the reason why Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't conform to the patterns of this world. This morning I want to talk to you about the patterns of this world. And I want to talk to you specifically about the issue of, of pride. Pride. It's... Uh, Pride, by the way, just as a little side note, pride is not a necessarily a bad thing, right? We, we see a number of times in Scripture where the term pride is used, and it's used in a very positive context, right? Uh, Paul makes this statement about the church. He says, I want you to know I'm very proud of you. I, I take great pride in, in what God is accomplishing through you. I, I believe that, that having civic pride is an important thing. I believe that having national pride is an important thing. I, I, I think it's totally acceptable to have pride in a, in, a, in, a, in a sports team that you have an affinity for. Tim, it's not a bad thing that Noah had on Florida Gators shoes this morning. Okay, totally appropriate. I want you to know that I'm not going to rebuke you for that this morning. So now, you might have gotten a rebuke had it been Alabama shoes. So... Uh, you know, because then, cause then, then you've gone to, I think, into idolatry. And, and, uh, but, but this issue of, of pride that could also be called hubris, well, the Word of God has a lot to say about that. And, and we, we so easily get sucked into that. We, go, so we get so easily sucked into image and, 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 and wanting to have a, a particular position or a particular reputation. This issue of the the comparison trap. And, and I think that we come by it naturally. I, I, know, that, I know that it's something that I, I came by naturally. That pride issue is it's an issue that I've had to deal with my entire life. I grew up, I grew up in a family that had some financial resource. And then it was when I was seven years old, it was all taken away with the death of my father. And so we went from from living in a nice home and, in, and on, the, on, the, on the right side of the tracks to, to living in the, the, the poorer part of the, of the ghetto. And I, 
I always, I always struggled with that, right? I struggled with the fact that my friends had stuff that I didn't have. I tried to explain to my mom how absolutely demonic JCPenney plain pocket jeans were. And uh, she would try to explain to me, son, they're, they're, they're made, they're, they're the same, they're made out of the same fabric. But mom, you don't understand, they, they don't have this label here and they don't have, look at the pocket. Okay, there's nothing on the, they're plain pockets. I cannot go to school with plain pockets. Well, son, you're going to go to school with plain pockets or you're going to go to school naked. And can I tell you, it was a struggle for me. Uh, I chose the plain pockets, but what I would do is I would wear my brother's shirt, uh, my older brother's shirt, that way it was longer, that way we would try to hide the pants in the back because I didn't want somebody to know that I was wearing JCPenney plain pocket jeans. I actually, um, I shoplifted, don't judge me. I didn't, this isn't yesterday, okay? This is 1976, 1977. I shoplifted sneakers where I didn't have to wear tracks, sneakers, to school. And uh, I, I shoplifted a pair of sneakers. My brother shoplifted a pair of sneakers. My brother got caught because the first pair that he shoplifted didn't fit him well, and so he went back and tried to steal a larger size. <laughs> True story. But this issue of the, the comparison trap, it, it's been around for a long time. Uh, in fact, we, 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 see it, we see it in... In, in history. In fact, the sizable portion of the Bible gives us a front row uh, seat to uh, an understanding of this comparison trap. Let me talk to you for a few moments about this. The, the children of Israel, when God formed the nation of Israel for 500 years, the nation of Israel existed as God intended. And it was a, it was a, a kingdom whose king was God. And so they didn't have an earthly king. They were led by judges and priests. And then after about 500 years, the children of Israel, they started looking at some of the other kingdoms around. And they said, wait, all these kingdoms have kings and we don't have a king. And when people ask us who our king is, we say God. And they go, yeah, right, God is your king. And so it's kind of embarrassing that all the other kingdoms have a king and we don't have a king. So we think we should have a king. That way we're like everybody else. And so they go to the, the, the prophet of God and they say, you, you are a guy who you talk to God, tell God that we want a king. And the prophet says, it's not a good idea. Well, we know, but we don't want to stand out from all the rest of the people. Do you not understand that you're called to be a chosen generation, a royal priest, and a holy nation? You're called to be a people set apart. Yeah, but we don't like that. We want to be like all the rest. And so we want a king. And so God, seeing the hardness of their heart, God gave them a king. Now, th this this, 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 what I'm describing to you, you'll find this. It's recorded in, in, in the Bible. In fact, there's six books of the Bible. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, and first and second Chronicles that record this. It's the age of the kings. All right? And it's a period of about 300 years, but it's a significant time in the history of God's people. It's a significant time in the history of Israel, and it, it cries out to us today that we understand and that we learn from history, that way we do not repeat it. Now, alongside these six books of the Bible, there are also, you'll find this in Scripture, you'll find these books, they're called uh, the prophets, right? And if you're not real familiar with the Bible, when you get into and you start reading the prophets, here's what happens. You're reading along and you're hearing the story and you're reading, it seems like every other page it says, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
Why? Because there were 42 kings in total. If you take the kingdom of Israel, and then halfway through they had a civil war and they divided in two, and so they became Israel and Judah, uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They had a total of 42 kings. Out of those 42 kings, eight of them did right before the Lord. Eight of them did right before the Lord. And so uh, 34 out of 42 kings, it says, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Some of them started out fine and then turned, turned bad. In fact, the very first king, Saul, Saul had an understanding that he was appointed to be king by God and that he should follow God's directive. But, but somewhere on the long line, he got confused about who was in charge. And he decided that since he was king, that it was right uh, for him uh, to be in charge and for him to get all the credit, for him to get all the glory. And, and, and things started to, uh, started to turn uh, negative uh, very quickly. It has always been God's plan to bless his children. Let me say that again. It has always been God's plan to bless his children. You see, being a follower of God, being a Christ follower, is not this life of awful servitude. It really isn't. It isn't this life of incredible sacrifice. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you're not asked to make all kinds of sacrifices. I believe this. I believe that when we, when we, for example, when we give tithes and offerings, I don't believe it's a sacrifice. I believe it's an investment, and, and I do believe this. I believe it with all of my heart. That what God returns to, to, to us, what God returns to you, what God returns to me, is far greater than anything that we can give to him. And so God's not calling us to sacrifice. And it's always been God's plan to bless his children. It's always been God's plan to to, to, to shower his goodness down on his children. And people go, well, why then is there this issue? It seems like over and over again, we read in scripture about the wrath of God. Let me ask you a question. If, if your children, if, 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 if you have children, and you have a heart for them, and, and you want what's best for them, and then you hear news that, that somebody has shown up at their school and has passed out free heroin in order to get them hooked on the drug. How are you going to feel about that? Well, let me talk to the men for a second. Somebody shows up and they show your son pornography. They give him all this pornographic material to get him hooked on pornography. How are you going to feel about that? They take advantage of, of your children. What's going to be your response to that? Are you going to do something about it? Or are you just going to sit there quietly? See, the wrath of God all throughout history, the judgment of God, even that we see in the world today, make no mistake that, friends, the judgment of God is deserved because of the rebellion of man. And the rebellion of man has always found its genesis, it's always, find, it's always found its origin in the issue of pride. It goes back to even the Garden of Eden. We, we see man getting tripped up by pride. And it's, it's evidenced over and over and over again as we read through and we look at the life of the kings. Okay, And so, so God's plan was to bless his people. 
and to guide them as their king. But sadly, over and over again, the pride of the earthly king, it got in the way. And it brought unnecessary hardship on a nation, causing it to divide and ultimately taking it down a path of destruction. And uh, as a result of that, the, the nations experienced uh, horrific uh, things. The, the, they saw invaders coming in. They fought found themselves victim to disease. Uh, the king's family fell apart. There were coups, and, and some ended up being uh, vassal states and serving at the pleasure of another king. This morning, I want to talk to you about a, one king in particular. One king in particular. In fact, he was the last king. He didn't know he was going to be the last king, but he's the last king. His name is Zedekiah. Now, let me tell you how Zedekiah ended up being the king of Judah, okay? The last little remnant of this whole thing, the nation of Israel. Israel split into two kingdoms, divided kingdom. There was, there was Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Israel fell to the Assyrians earlier on, and so we're left with Judah in Jerusalem. And so there have been all these kings, and most of them had done, most of them had, had done evil. Uh, but we get to the point, and we have this, we have this, this one final king, Zedekiah. Okay. Zedekiah is made king because his nephew ticked off Nebuchadnezzar. His nephew had been made king because his father had angered Nebuchadnezzar. So if we go a couple kings back to a guy named Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim is made the king by, by Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and he's just a vassal king. He just serves at the pleasure of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is this emperor. And uh, he decides uh, that he is uh, not going not gonna to pay attention to what Nebuchadnezzar has to say. So Nebuchadnezzar comes and, and captures him, um, tears down the wall of, 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 of Jerusalem, and, and takes, off, takes Jehoiakim off and names his son Jehoiakim as king. Jehoiakim was king for three months. Because immediately after being installed as the king by Emperor Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar shows up with his army, basically defeats Jerusalem, says, I'm taking this king captive. His son, okay, you're going to serve, recognize, look what I've done here. Look at all the destruction. I'm taking your father. I'm putting him in prison. Don't mess up. Nebuchadnezzar leaves. As soon as Nebuchadnezzar leaves... The son, Jehoiakim, says, I'm the king. Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, no, I don't, I'm not listening to you. Three months, three months. Nebuchadnezzar comes back, captures him, takes him, names his uncle, a guy by the name of Mataniah, names him king and changes his name to Zedekiah. Now, Zedekiah has seen what has happened to his brother, as he rebelled against God and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. He has seen what happens to his nephew when the idea of being the king goes to his head. And he rebels against God and he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. So you would think, this didn't go well for my brother. It did not go well for my nephew. I think I need to take a different approach to this. Wouldn't you, right? When you learn from that, no. Okay, you know what Zedekiah does? He goes, "Woo! I'm the king, I'm the king, I'm the king. 
And this guy, this spokesperson for God, this prophet, remember I told you there are these, these books in the Bible, the prophets, and, and, and the prophets, if you read the prophets, it does, it sounds like a bunch of angry guys, but really what they're doing is they're trying to tell these kings that consistently did evil in the eyes of the Lord, they're trying to tell them, don't do this, don't do evil, it's not going to go well for you. So Jeremiah comes, and Jeremiah's got a, a book in the Bible, it's called Jeremiah. And, uh, and so he's got this book in the Bible and it, it talks about his, his interaction and a portion that it talks about his interaction with Zedekiah. And so Jeremiah goes to Zedekiah and he says this, he says, Zedekiah, understand this, that Israel as a nation is in a bad place. And what you need to do is you, not, you need to not focus on, woo, I'm the king, I'm somebody very important. In fact, what you need to do is you need to lead us as a nation into repentance. We need to acknowledge the fact that we have left God behind. We need to acknowledge the fact that we've operated in open rebellion against God. And understand this, Zedekiah, the only hope for Israel's survival, the only hope for you as longevity as a king is if you will forget about being a king and if you will humble yourself before the Lord. But if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will restore us as a nation. And Zedekiah goes, yeah, no, I'm the king. I'm the king. In fact, here's what it says in 2 Chronicles, the 36th chapter. It says this, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. Now that might have something to do with it. 20-year-old, he's named king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did, evil in the, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. Now, that's not a good thing. Okay? But even more than that, listen to this very next sentence. It says this. It says, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. Really? Really? Seriously? Come on, Zedekiah. Do you not remember what happened to your uncle? Do you not remember what happened to your nephew? But this idea of being king, it goes to Zedekiah's head. He thinks he's all-knowing. He thinks he's all-powerful. He thinks he's all that. That does not sit well with Nebuchadnezzar. Understand this. Nebuchadnezzar is the king over Babylon. And Babylon is a massive empire. Additionally, do you remember what Nebuchadnezzar did with Zedekiah's nephew? And what he did with Zedekiah's brother? He took them into captivity. Why? Because Zedekiah, or, 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 or Nebuchadnezzar rather, Nebuchadnezzar collects things. Now you might be here and you might collect coins. You might collect, collect stamps. Some of you might collect speeding tickets. But you collect things, right? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar collected kings. He would go and he would ravage an area. He would ravage a kingdom. He would take the king into bondage, into slavery, and he would take, take them back and take them back to Babylon. And he had this collection of kings. They were his trophies of, of, of nations that he had deposed. And so it wasn't just Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim. Nebuchadnezzar had a lot of kings that, have tried to stand, that tried to stand up against him. And he would just go, come on. 
And yet here's Zedekiah. I'm king. I am, I am all powerful. I am almighty. And so he, he's awakened one morning by one of his aides. And they say, uh, King O, King Zedekiah, great and powerful. Uh, you should probably come look at this. And Nebuchadnezzar has sent an army. And the army's coming in the distance. And here's what Zedekiah does. He goes, somebody get Jeremiah. Right? Jeremiah comes in. Jeremiah, we've got an invading army. You're the person that talks to God. What should I do? And here's what Jeremiah says. What did I tell you? What, what did I tell you? Didn't I not tell you this was going to happen? He says, listen, the only hope for you now is here's what you need to do. You need to, you and your family, you need to go outside of the gates of the city. And you need to kneel down and surrender. If you do this, Nebuchadnezzar will not kill you. He will not kill your family. And Israel as a nation will survive. If you don't do this, the nation is done. Jerusalem will be destroyed. And Zedekiah goes, hmm, let me think about it. Uh, no, I'm not doing that. I, I, I'm not, I'm the king. I can't, I, I can't, I, I'm the king. I'm not bowing down before somebody else because I am the king. I am the man. Jeremiah, I'm not doing this. And strangely, Nebuchadnezzar's army leaves. And so Zedekiah goes, see, Jeremiah, you have no idea what you're talking about. God has favor on us. God has called me to be the king. I am the man. And said, Jeremiah said, you don't understand. You've had a brief reprieve, but they will come back and they will come back stronger. You need to humble yourself. And he goes, not going to do it. You need to humble yourself. Listen, this army's coming back and they're coming back stronger than ever. Jeremiah would not stop saying that. And so Zedekiah had Jeremiah thrown in a well. They threw him in an empty, muddy well. And so out of this well, Jeremiah, he's stuck down in this well. But out of this well, he's yelling, repent, repent. So people are walking by this well and this well is coming out of this well is repent. Get him out of the well. That's, not a, bad, that's a bad idea. So they, they take him out and they put him in, 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 in captivity. Okay? They hold Jeremiah in jail. It's some time. And everything seems great. By the way, side note, the reason why Nebuchadnezzar's army left was because on the other side of Babylon, the Egyptians attacked. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, pause. They didn't retreat. He said, pause, go over and take care of this and then we'll deal with these people. So once the battle against Egypt was won, here comes Nebuchadnezzar again. But this time it's not an army, now it's a nation. And so Zedekiah is sleeping. He thinks all is well. And once again, that servant that came and woke him last time, he comes and wakes him again. He says, oh, king, all powerful, wonderful, live forever. Uh, you probably should see this. And he goes out and it is a massive, massive army. Here's a 
So here's what happens. Zedekiah calls to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 38, 17. Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel says. If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared and this city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, this city will be handed over to the Babylonians and they will burn it down. You yourself will not escape from their hands. And of course, Zedekiah surrendered. No, he didn't. His arrogance and his pride gets in the way. 2 Kings 25 tells us this. It tells us that in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. Here's what they did. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He came and he built a wall around the wall of Jerusalem. He, in essence, imprisoned all of the people inside this wall and he began to starve them to death. Zedekiah and a few of his people tried to, tried to sneak out. It tells us this, it says, in the night, in the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, uh, uh, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled toward the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were scattered and they were separated from him and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. And this is what they did. They killed Zedekiah's sons in front of him. Then they gouged out his eyes. They put bronze shackles on him and took him to Babylon. Over and over again, the man of God, Jeremiah, warns Zedekiah, Zedekiah, you've got to deal with this issue of pride. To which Zedekiah's answer was, I'm the king. Zedekiah, you've got to humble yourself. I'm the king. And what's interesting to me is when God gives Zedekiah a reprieve, he even thinks it's God's endorsement of his unhealthy and prideful disposition. Scripture says this, whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. Whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans 12. I, mean, just, just, I just want to show you a, a couple things real quickly. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul has explained to us that from Romans 1 through Romans 12, he's explained to us that, that no one is without sin. That the ungodly are sinful. 
that those who just try to be moral, that they're sinful, that those even who try to be religious are sinful. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans says, right? And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so in the book of Romans, Paul explains the sinful state of man. And then he explains that God has this path, this path of redemption. If we will humble ourselves and acknowledge his lordship. And so it says this in Romans chapter 12. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act or your reasonable act of worship. In, in, in light of who God is and in light of who we are, the only natural response is to say, God, just as I am, such as I am, all I am, I give to you. Because without you, I am nothing. It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, an ex, it's an expression, it's a demonstration of humility that simply makes sense when we understand who we are and we understand who God is. But just as Satan did for over 300 years with the kings of Israel, he still uses the same well-worn, tired trap today, the comparison trap, to convince us that we've got to try to be something that we're not. And so we find ourselves, we live in a day, we live in an age where we consistently, we buy things we can't afford with money we have, uh, don't have to, to try to impress people that we don't even like. Why? Because we're, we're caught up in this comparison game. Romans 12 rings true when it says this. It says, don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world. But instead, be transformed. And in that transformation, here's what it should look like. Verse number three of Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. I'll tell you what sucks us in in this, in the, in, in this, in this issue of pride. It's having an unhealthy perception of who we are. Zedekiah was nothing more than a vassal king. When Nebuchadnezzar puts him in power, he says this. He says, Zedekiah, I'm making you king. There are three things you cannot do. You cannot rebuild this wall. You cannot create an army. And you cannot collect any money for yourself. but you can call yourself the king. You can't do anything that a king is supposed to do, but you can call yourself the king. Zedekiah, not recognizing the desperate state of his nation, not recognizing the desperate state of his people, and not recognizing the hollow position that he had been put in, rather than crying out to God, what does he do? He goes, woo, I'm the king. God has never called someone to be a king, ever. It has never been God's desire for there to be kings. In fact, just a little side note, sir. I know you like to think that you're the king of your castle. God did not call you to be the king of your castle. 
He calls you to be the priest of your home. And there's a huge difference. Zedekiah was so enthralled with this idea of being a king. But friend, the prophetic word that God has for you today is this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment. I love the fact that when Paul says this, he says, by the grace of God given me. I say this to you. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves. It's interesting to me, in the last six weeks, there are three different times that God has had me preach on this specific issue from three different angles. And and I believe this. I believe with my whole heart it's because God's wanting to say something to the church today. I believe it's a message, message not just for Calvary. I believe it's a message for the church throughout. I do additionally though believe this. It is a specific message for this church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Why is it that God is continually giving us this charge to humility? Let me tell you what I believe. And I say this with all sincerity. And you know what? I, I say this with, with some trepidation. And that is this. What God is already doing in this church and the momentum that's building, God wants to do something absolutely mind-blowing here. The problem is this, history is full of churches that God blessed, that God did incredible things through, and now they either stand as empty buildings, a testimony to man's arrogance and pride, or they're rubble because they've been bulldozed to make way for a strip mall. we have to deal with our issue of pride. Well, you have to deal with your issue of pride. Because if you wonder today whether or not this message is for you, it's directly to you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather... In sober judgment. Let me have you go down just a few, few, few verses. Notice this. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. See, Zedekiah also had a problem because he had this unrealistic comparison towards others. Right? He, he thought he was up here. He also, even even when God brings a messenger, he's like, "Mm, throw that guy in a well. Which here's what that does. 
it creates massive dysfunction, massive dysfunction in relationship. Jeremiah, when Jeremiah comes and talks to Zedekiah, Zedekiah says this, don't tell anybody this conversation. Don't tell anybody what, you, what I told you. Don't tell anybody what you told me. And he ends up having ungodly relationship and dysfunctional relationship. Why? Because he doesn't understand this whole issue of walking in honesty and walking in sincerity. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. How do, how do I deal with the issue of pride in my life? Here's how I do it. I place a high value on people, right? Going back to verse th- number three, don't think of yourself more highly than what you ought. I need, to, I need to push back on the comparison trap. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. And then finally, what I have to do is this, is I have to, Purposefully engage in the good of others. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. If my people who are called by my name will deal with their pride, 